0: Welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. I hope you're enjoying your Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Today is a time to remember the sacrifices that Dr. King made personally for the civil rights movement. My favorite Dr. King quote is, Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Now on to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting Professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Kansas City Royals Director of Performance Science and Player Development, John Waggle. We have a health and wellness theme here on the podcast to kick off the new year. John enters his first year as director after serving as the Royals Minor League Strength and Conditioning Coordinator in 2019. Prior to joining the organization, he spent three years pursuing his Ph.D. in sports physiology and performance at East Tennessee State. John is also a Leatherneck, getting his Masters in Exercise Science from Western Illinois. He has an MBA from Loyola, and he played collegiately at Augustana College in the Quad Cities. He spent time as the Assistant Director of Sports Performance at DePaul University also. He also spent time in the coaching ranks, having coached baseball at North Park for Luke Johnson and Dominican University for Steve Hardman. Having been on both sides of the baseball industry, having coached, and now on the strength and conditioning side, he understands ultimately what both sides need and how to bridge the gap between both sides. Let's welcome John Waggle to the podcast. here with John Waggle, Kansas City Royals Director of Performance Science and Player Development. John, thanks for coming on with me. For people that long don't... long overdue catch up here. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Tyson uh, Blazer uh, texted me that a while ago. He was like, you should get John on. Um, for, for people that don't know your path, can you talk about your path in baseball and then how you got to where you're at?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thanks to Tyson for, for reconnecting us too. He's a good friend. I've known Tyson since we were... I was probably six eight years old but um, I, uh, I I played four years at Augustana College in my hometown which was great because you know you don't get to play in front of your family and, and do all that so that was cool um, but uh, for after college I actually coached uh, in the division three level with two outstanding mentors uh, Luke Johnson at North Park and Steve Hardman at Dominican and th- those two guys I really, uh, were good to me and and gave me in giving me a start but also you know teaching me a lot uh, about what goes in on the player development side um, and really just about kind of caring for people in in the right way. Uh, from there I actually decided to go the strength conditioning route uh, left coaching baseball for a while. Uh, interned at uh, at DePaul University and then went uh, did my master's at Western Illinois where we cross paths and Helped out with the baseball team and throwers, football, you name it at Western. It's, a, it's an all hands on deck uh, type of deal there. So I, I got a lot of good experience there. Um, then was hired back on at DePaul. I uh, worked uh, as an assistant strength conditioning coach there. I uh, was promoted to the director from there. Um, then I left that position uh, as the director and went back to get my Ph.D., I uh, did that for a couple of years, actually worked as part of my fellowship. I worked not only in our Olympic training site with some winter sports athletes, but also with the baseball team at ETSU with a really great guy. Joe Panucci is the head coach there. Um, and then I uh, was fortunate enough to get hired by the Royals uh, as their minor league strength conditioning coordinator um, and come on board with a lot of really great people and practitioners with the Royals and, uh, was uh, moved into this position my current role uh, a little over a year ago now
0: coaches listening in make sure you treat treat your campers well because john was actually in our camp at iowa and that's where we first crossed paths was you and i had some interactions after that trying to figure out what you are actually going to do for college so that that, that's always gratifying for me when you you cross paths and then reconnect at western illinois and um I think right yeah. when I got there is right when you were graduating, and so it's maybe a couple of weeks where we were together, and then you were out. But um, yeah. have enjoyed following it, and so yeah, always treat people right. Um, I reached out to JJ Piccolo, um, another really good friend. Baseball is awesome because you meet so many people, and he drafted Dan Meyer when he was with the Braves, but he's the VP for the Royals now. This is what he actually said because um, I was like, "Hey, do you have any questions for for John?" He goes. As you know, John creates a very positive culture, but I think where he excels is how he identifies how individuals are very different and have different needs and then goes out and motivates players to work on their needs. It's not a cookie cutter plan. It's philosophy wrapped around individuals and he identifies that well and executes. I mean, how does that make you feel when the VP says that about you?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I owe a great deal to JJ and the long list of people with the Royals, but um, you know, it's really humbling. Uh, that, that he thinks I do good work I mean that's that's obviously like what um, what we're all trying to do here is to make individual players better and, and push them towards our world championships so you know I, I'm very uh, happy to hear that uh, he thinks that I, I play a small part in that um, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to do so.
0: How do you write a plan for a 16 year old Latin kid and then a 40 year old veteran
1: um, it, it's, it starts with um, you know really I ask getting to know what that player has available. And then we do have a, a pretty comprehensive assessment protocol. Um, now the, um, the players down at our academy don't necessarily go through the full battery of that protocol, um, but they do a version of it. And our Latin American strength conditioning coordinator who is also um, our assistant major league strength coach, Louis Perez does a, a fantastic job kind of making sure that that bridge is cultivated between our academy and uh and what we have here in the states and so you'll see a great deal of things in common uh, between what they do down there and what we do here um, and that, that's by design so i guess to to start with we we gather some information uh, about about that player and that's on the physical side the medical side um like i had mentioned maybe the the resources that they have available um, and then from there we communicate uh, very, very frequently um, with our players, even the ones that are um, that are maybe ones that I haven't even met. Like we will be in, in contact with with those players at, at our academy and then kind of bridging that all the way up to our veterans. Um, you know, really, we have a, a outstanding major league strength coach, Ryan Stoneberg, um, who, again, helps, uh, you know, along with Louie and our minor league coordinator, Jared Abel, to to just make this one congruent system rather than Um, what occurs at the major league level, what occurs at the minor league level and what occurs uh, at our academy being three completely different things. There's enough commonalities to where um, that player by the time he becomes a veteran, um, he's familiarized with all of our processes and with how we make decisions and how we guide their training. And so um, that player, that advanced veteran player just becomes a a more um, mature version of what that guy was when he was 16, 18 years old because um, he, he's been um, going through similar processes uh, at, along the way.
0: We have a, a large listener group that is high school coaches, so you talked about maybe modifying those assessments, and assessments are getting a lot of play right now with on-base U and, and TPI. What what maybe are some of the assessments that you do with the 16-year-old that maybe you're not doing with your, your older players?
1: Yeah, um, th- this is – so the – I guess I should have been more clear, like the geography uh, is really what gets us with the academy versus uh, what happens stateside, not necessarily the older player versus more advanced player. We actually do the same exact assessment system from top to bottom. Um, so the baseball is the most skill-dominant sport on the planet. Um, it's rivaled by like mixed martial arts, just the things that you're, you're accountable to uh, playing baseball. Like you've got to be able to run and I'm speaking more on the position player side, you gotta be able to run, you gotta throw, you gotta hit, you gotta, you gotta do so many different things um, that, uh, that our physical assessment, at least our movement screening, cause you mentioned that specifically, um, we've kind of taken pieces of what we like from a few different ones on base you included. Um, and kind of tried to capture: Can the player do basic movements? Can they squat? Can they lunge? Can they stand on one leg? And then can they do things uh, that are maybe specific to what they have to do on the field in a very general context? Still, but like, can I rotate uh, when my pelvis is sitting there fixed on a table? Like that—that that would be just an example. If I can't do that, like I'm probably going to have a hard time. Uh, doing some moves in my swing. And, and now uh, I'm fortunate to work with, uh, you know, some of the the brightest hitting and pitching minds on the planet that they use that information and it, it's uh, a complimentary piece to our player development system. And so for those high school uh, players and coaches, I, I don't think that um, it really needs to be that different. I, I think that if you um, could kind of peek behind the curtain for a day, you'd be surprised at the simplicity of, of our movement screen. And, uh, and I I don't believe that it would really be, um, too big of a barrier for anyone. And and we get a lot of information out of it at this level. And I think the same would be, um, at those younger levels too.
0: It's a good place to start. Maybe just check internal and external rotation of the shoulders and the hips.
1: Yep. Yeah. 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 And I guess, I guess forgot to mention that. Like we, our medical staff does an outstanding job too. Like we have over like a hundred data points that we get, um, at the joint level, so, like, can the shoulder move a certain way? Can the hip move a certain way? Um, you'd mentioned internal, and external rotation. Um, we on the S and C side are uh, we more capture um, kind of multi-joint, more complicated movements. Like I'd mentioned, like, can they squat? Can they? And that's a, that's an important thing too, um, because even if they have a hip restriction, if they can self-organize and figure out how to squat, like that's that's probably a pretty good sign. Because you know, no one's gonna have this this perfect immaculate, uh, or very rarely do we have an immaculate medical, you know, where every joint moves exactly the way that um, you would read about it in the textbooks. But the most important things is that around all of the ways that they move that they are able to execute the skill um, that, they're, that they're tasked with. So um, that's where the, the, having that complement of the more complicated movements like squatting and lunging is, is pretty helpful um, beyond what we get uh, from the joint level stuff.
0: Well, by the time you get them, they've compensated in areas for quite a long time before you get them, yeah. correct?
1: Yep. Yep.
0: What, what are some things that you've learned that maybe at the time were great in theory, but aren't great in practice? <laughs>
1: uh, I think that's a, a daily lesson that I, <laughs> that I learn. Um, no, I, I think that um, you know, as it's, it's been very helpful for me to start off in baseball. Uh, as I, as on the coaching side, uh, just because I did have, uh, an appreciation for getting better at the skill, but, uh, you know, then being in strength conditioning for, you know, I've been in strength conditioning for 11 years now, um, you really get biased towards that lens. Um, and so really the, the lesson that you learn the hard way, um, sometimes is, is that, um, Physical qualities, strength, power, speed, mobility, like all of those things are, um, they are a supporting character uh, for, for these players. They are it, it, skilled beyond belief um, and we have to support the development of that skill. And sometimes that does mean getting guys stronger, better conditioned, um, you know, things like that. But um, my, my biggest um, kind of turning point was when I started to view physical qualities more as uh, kind of pieces that could limit uh, high level performances rather than things that drove high levels of performances. Um, You know, I still think that physical qualities are valuable. Um, They just have more of an indirect benefit uh, than than you would see in some other sports. Um, like I've had the chance to work with with bobsled athletes, uh, working with Brad DeWeese and some people at ETSU. Uh, like if you get those guys faster, they are going to push the sled better. They're like <laughs> there, it's, it's about as easy of a relationship as you're going to see. But um, even with us, even if you distilled it down to base running, if you get a guy faster, he's still got to make a lot of decisions. Uh, in order to steal a base or go first to third or second to home or whatever the task may be within the game and that speed affords him some error and that speed affords him you know more opportunities to do things that maybe he couldn't before. Um, but it's not as as plug and play uh, as I would like sometimes. Um, but that that's been probably the most valuable uh, lesson that I've learned.
0: What do baseball coaches need to hear from the strength and conditioning side? I mean you've been on both sides so you can speak to both sides. What, what are maybe some of the disconnects that you see on the baseball coaching side that they need to hear from the strength and conditioning side?
1: Um, well, I think a lot of them I, I just touched on yeah. a little bit. Um, but you know, strength conditioning is, uh, is probably one of, I, I think, the, the biggest up-and-coming pieces in player development. Like if you can do strength conditioning well, um, you, can, you can very much uh, support that player's development and, and do so in a, a very specific manner and target um, things that are maybe holding them back from reaching their ceiling. And that's ultimately what I'm tasked with is just being a, a, a part of helping players reach their ceiling and get those players to the level where they are helping us win championships. And so I do think strength condition, conditioning is uh, oftentimes... Um, and not speaking necessarily to anyone in, anyone specifically here, but it is an underappreciated part uh, of of that player's preparation, and that can be either supporting the skill, uh, like I said, giving them greater margin for error or different opportunities on the field, but also uh, the injury risk reduction side is a is a major component.
0: Uh, that's the biggest that's one. That's provides. the biggest one for me. Is the the injury risk component? You're going to have healthier athletes by doing all of this stuff.
1: Yeah. And so we've, um, and we've done some of that early on, even right when I got hired by um, Austin Driggers, he was the one who kind of led the ship and and get me on here. Like one of the first things that he tasked kind of me and everybody else with was uh, reducing hamstring injury risk. And so we put like a full on, uh, you know, assault on trying to figure every way that we could do that because hamstring injury is actually number one uh, injury in, in professional baseball. So any yoga, yeah. uh, we, uh, on occasion, um, depends yeah, on you know, the
0: individual, right?
1: Yeah. Again. Yeah. It just depends. And I hate to give that, that cop-out answer, but you know, yoga is not bad. It's just not for everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, keeping people on the field, a lot of the times like that, that can be born, uh, in the weight room or, or running or, you know, things like that. So, um, again, they're, they're the most skilled people on the planet at what they do and giving them more opportunities to practice, to play, to, to get that representative work. Uh, strength and conditioning can play a pretty big part in that.
0: What do strength and conditioning coaches then need to hear from the baseball coaching side?
1: Um, again, probably a lot of what I've touched on, yeah. that like, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, and uh, the, these guys, um, you know, the, the players are tasked with a lot you know the volume of games gets hit on quite a bit um and that that's part of it but there there's a certain pressure that a lot of us don't understand uh to perform day in day out um that's whether you're a a high-end draft pick a low-end draft pick whatever the case may be like this is um you know in college you get (laughs) uh you know you got three or four years you know you're you came to school. You've got that. You can kind of count it down yourself. And you know, for me, even like I got to play a little bit of independent ball after after college. Like that, the, the fact that that rug can get pulled out from underneath you at any time, like that, that's a that's a really important thing. And so, you know, I just hope that our coaches, uh, one thing I want them to understand, is how valuable uh, of an experience and how how every moment is so crucial. For our players, because they get one shot. Like you don't, you don't get two. Um, you don't get two professional careers. I mean, some guys get picked up afterwards. I realize that, but like that's one long because,
0: career, though. I mean, that career yeah, is really, still going.
1: Like, this is this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in a very literal sense, and just knowing the magnitude of that um, on the individual level uh, is really important to me. And then knowing the magnitude of you know what it means to a city, a team when you do win championships like that, that's incredible to be a part of. Um, and so I, I think that having an appreciation of that from the strength conditioning perspective uh, would be really, really important. And that's not only at the major league level too. And um, in 2019, we won four minor league championships. Like that's a, that's a really big deal for those towns. And we're really, uh, you know, blessed to be a part of that. And, uh, and that's what I, I hope that our coaches um, really value in their service.
0: Being at the pro side now, I think maybe the college and high school weight room experience may be different, and and I might be wrong on this, but at the pro level, does does it play a role in building competitiveness and team building? Are there team building components, or is it just about the individual because it's now professional baseball?
1: It it may be different in in other organizations, but our culture is truly special. And and I know probably everybody would get on and and say that, but um, I think anybody that knows our leadership, knows Dayton, knows JJ, knows Scott, knows the people that are are college guys too,
0: though. I mean, they come from the college side.
1: Yep. This is a truly special culture. Um, And, uh, you know, even as we walk in, walk in the door, Uh, One of Dayton's quotes is on the wall there that all of our success is tied together. And I, and I think that that's, um, you know, it hits deep with the staff, but I think it also, you know, the players really, really feel that as well. Um, And so, yes, in the weight room, they are there to get their individual work in. um, And we, and we tailor it to, to those needs as well. Like they know that what they're handed is, is for them. Um, But they also really appreciate being a part of something bigger than just their career. Um, and cause the reality of it is like, we, we also know that, um, when we win, uh, it's going to be largely on homegrown guys. And, uh, and so they have to have those relationships because if they're going to succeed together at the next level, uh, they, they, they need to kind of build that, build that up now. And so, yes, there's an element of team building. There's an element of competitiveness. I like, these guys are competitors. That's, that's what they do. Um, but, uh but I think they do a good job of managing that and valuing like all the different, all the different pieces.
0: That's my one word for 2021 is interdependence. Mm -hmm. So it goes into how everything is connected and interconnected. And I think we need more of that, Uh, not just on the baseball side, but also in, in society as a whole, I think we need more interdependence.
1: And it's really, um, you know, kind of, it's amazing that we'll, we'll even have, you know, during the winter here, even we have guys that are, 40-man players, major league players that work out right alongside guys that, um, you know, are maybe in their sec, coming into their second year or first year in the, in the organization, and they, they don't bat an eye. Like, they, they work together, um, you know, side by side. And Well, it helps um, that young it.
0: buck to see that, you know, to kind of see what it yeah. looks like, right? Like, okay, here's what it yeah. looks like. Here's how he works in the weight room. Like, it helps that guy to see that that what it Absolutely. looks like.
1: Yep, yeah, there, there's certainly, like, some mentorship there. Um, but you know, even the older player I think appreciates that um, he appreciates what that younger guy's going through, <laughs> and and wants to help them. And, and then you know, it, it that relationships formed. So in the event that that player, that younger guy, eventually makes it up to the big leagues, our guys have already kind of familiarized themselves with each other. Um, there there's not as much separation as as maybe you do. I haven't worked for anybody else, but that you might see um, elsewhere when you have the the elite of the elite with with guys that are working their way towards it.
0: Bench press for pitchers
1: uh, time and a place time and a place there bar is, or dumbbell uh, we, we lean more on dumbbell uh, we, we do lean more on dumbbell uh, some of that's comfort for the players uh, some of it is like there, there's some advantages to the way the the shoulder can move uh, with the dumbbell but we, we also have some um, some different bars that allow for for some cleaner movement patterns as well um but uh, but there, there's times where we include in our program for the pitchers. there's times where we don't. Um, as, a, as a general rule of thumb as the throwing volume is really high. And that's um, what it is, we, right? As, as they're yeah. throwing
0: picks up, you cut you cut the bench back. We,
1: yeah, something's got to give. Um, but uh, it's not that we don't kind of reintroduce it from time to time to retain the strength that they've developed in that movement, but um, you know, there, there's just, our year looks a lot different depending on the time period that you're in and an exercise selection follows that not just on the bench, but in a lot of, a lot of areas. What about
0: overhead exercises?
1: Yep. We, we, we do overhead pressing. Um, it's something admittedly that we have to coach and coach and coach and coach, um, because it does, um, it's difficult to do it properly. Um, but there are a lot of advantages. Uh, this is more my opinion to, to overhead pressing with, uh, with throwing athletes, that's a health so, yeah. that's a
0: health issue as well, right? If you don't, if you try don't try to strengthen that area, yep, you're gonna break down.
1: Yep, yep. So we, we do overhead pressing again. It's more dumbbell uh, than than barbell. Uh, we do have some guys, actually, the guys that are very very unstable. Uh, the barbell can provide them some level of stability because it's just one uniform piece and so you kind of think of like the barbell is always this progression from dumbbells but i think with overhead pressing in particular uh you can make a case that it's a that it's a regression for guys um just to be able to have a solid base of support as they press
0: percentage of your pitchers that are too lax
1: Ooh, um i don't know if i could give a good um are you talking shoulder
0: yes shoulder areas
1: yeah, uh, I don't know if I can give a percentage I mean, there's, there's quite a few. I, I would say more like there's, and this goes back to what do strength conditioning coaches need to know? The the diversity that exists in baseball, um, from a physical profile standpoint, is amazing. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Uh, there's especially with pitchers.
0: There's no profile. Like it's not yeah. like hey, if you do this and this and this, you're going to be a big league pitcher. Or a pro yep. pitcher, there are so many different variables yep. with guys because it's a skilled it's a skilled position.
1: Yeah. And you see it at the big league level. If you if you, you know, really took a look at all the pitchers that existed on any given roster across the league. Like it's really remarkable. And it's one of the things I like love so much about baseball is is that um you know you you can you can have those opportunities potentially if you are that if you are that skill and you and i are both kind of smaller guys uh like we even we got to play we you know, i didn't get to play for more than I, it's know, america's pastime i've
0: said it forever for that reason is why it's america's pastime there is no barrier of entry to play the game anybody's yeah. welcome now if you get to keep moving up that's a different thing but anybody yeah. is welcome to play the game like there's yeah, there's no barrier of entry to play the game of baseball
1: and that's what's great i mean it, and so like from the laxity or from what we see with the, there's not necessarily uh, we do have typical ranges we have typical values i like just like anything else like we can establish those things but um you know to say that a certain level of laxity or a certain level of hip internal rotation that you can or cannot advance like that's a it's a completely different thing and so um it's not necessarily something that we uh spend a lot of time determining like how many of our guys are relaxed and that's why i kind of can't really give you a good answer just because we we kind of solve the problem that's in front of us so if we have a player that um is having velocity issues or injury issues or location issues or whatever and we can on the physical side support that in any way um that's where we might look at something like shoulder laxity and say like, okay, well, um, maybe there's an opportunity, uh, there to, to alleviate some of that. I wouldn't even use the word fix. Um, but, to to clean something up there to, to help support what is
0: happening on the field. Squat and deadlift then in the programming, am I mean, how many variations of the squat and deadlift?
1: Um, it, I, our guys mostly lean on the hex bar deadlift. Uh, we, we have a, a couple, Of players that do barbell but that's because they that's their preference and that's what they have done their entire you know their entire prep coming up before they even got with us Um, so those are pretty rare Um, and squat we lean mostly uh, on the back squat there are times where we where we front squat um, or use the overhead squat for mobility things Um, but uh, but for the most part if you had to capture it uh, at the year level, it's pretty much hex bar deadlift and back squat.
0: Sports specific gets a lot of play. I mean, how much of the programming is sports specific or is it a lot of the meat and potatoes exercises?
1: Uh, Mostly meat and potatoes. Again, it's kind of like your bench press question. Um, There's a time of the year where we see more things that look a lot like baseball um i can't say that there's a ton of it um really we use those very specific exercises mostly um in advance of when their swing or throwing volumes are going to take a tick up so we use that more on like the tissue tolerance uh side to to prepare those structures to do the sport itself rather than you know mix in a bunch of specific stuff um to like enhance skill development i think there will be occasions that we'll collaborate with our pitching and hitting folks to where like maybe a specific med ball drill supports what they are doing uh, with that player at the time. Um, but we will not take it upon ourselves to to decide what is best for that player <laughs> uh, from like a medicine ball throw or like, you know, things like that look a lot like um, what they're trying to do on the field, because the reality is we could do a lot more damage than support Um, in that regard. And so there's a window there where we we really will have a lot of things that look like baseball, but that's more to kind of stage what they're about to do. Um, And then there are those case examples where we will use some of those very, quote unquote, specific exercises to support, but that's always in collaboration uh, with our pitching and hitting staff.
0: What about counter rotation exercises? So like rotating the opposite direction of what they normally do just for balance purposes?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we more just um, train symmetrically. Like, if we're gonna do some some rotation, one end and really, like, there's that's more something that's logical at the face level, but not not really anything that would increase the risk um, of injury. You know, if you look at switch hitters, if you look at guys who throw righty hit lefty, like all those things kind of come out in the wash, um, and, and so we don't feel the need to to balance the scales in the weight room. Um, plus, if you're gonna go take like two hundred swings left-handed and then we do three sets of eight of some core exercise, like we're we're uh, we're not we're pedaling that boat upstream.
0: <laughs> this gets a lot of play on Twitter, long distance running for pitchers.
1: Uh, I, I do hold probably a pretty unpopular opinion here, um but we
0: it depends uh, who you talk to, though. I mean, it might be it's probably popular depending on who you're talking to. So you know, just, just go into maybe yes, no, maybe. Um, I mean, do you, you probably have a 30-year-old veteran pitcher that likes to do a flush run after he starts, right? Like that.
1: Yeah, I, I, aerobic capacity is is really important for pitchers, uh, and there is uh, so I'll put like my nerd hat on. Like, there's some research out there. Um, there's not a ton, but there's some research out there that has explored the cardiovascular demands uh, of pitching an inning, they are substantial <laughs> and an inning lasts a while, you know, eight to 10 minutes. And so being out there with that level of, of cardiovascular stress um, and doing so three, four, five, six times for our starting pitchers, like that's, that's pretty meaningful. Um, and so having the aerobic capacity in place to be able to support, again, it's all about supporting what they need to do on the field. Um, it's not necessarily that, um, there's this linear relationship where like the more miles I run or the higher my capacity is that the better I'll be at pitching. Um, but I can be more and more confident, uh, when I'm in inning five, if I have a really high aerobic capacity, that my fatigue levels are not negatively impacting my fifth inning performance. So if a guy all of a sudden can't find the strike zone, um, we are just more confident um, that fatigue is not the thing driving driving the boat there, um, and, I, and I know that's um, not as maybe exact of an answer as, as possible, but I think when you look at what occurs with pitching and then kind of how we can support that, there is certainly an argument to be made um, for having those conditioning levels in place.
0: Well, it's a little bit of the theory versus practice because there's a lot of gray area to all of this with baseball. There's so many different factors, so something may work for for a guy here that maybe doesn't work for another but that's okay if it's working for somebody by all means do it correct yeah
1: yeah and that's the you know that's the funny part is that you, you know you got you see guys that have been in the in the big leagues for a long time pitching and a staple part of their routine is 45 minutes you know on the elliptical every day and sure ain't hurting them. (laughs) So, uh, you know, to take that away from them or to, you know, there's enough physiology, I guess, to support them doing it, uh, in my opinion, that it it wouldn't be something that we would even entertain taking away from them. But at some point you do have to kind of confront the reality of like, if the best in the world are all doing something Like there's probably something to it um, because because they don't make it there by accident. Um, It's it's extremely difficult uh, to make it to the level that they're at. And so we learn from the players, too, uh, about kind of what does it take um, to be at that elite level and then be there for a long time? Like those are two different tasks, too. And so um, we would be um, fools to not learn from them as well. And I think that's an example there.
0: I had pro pitchers that explained it like they needed the, the low intensity work to be able to check out mentally and decompress outings. So they used it as much of a, to kind of replay the outing in their mind and flush the the bad stuff or the good stuff or whatever, and then just get rid of it. So once they were done, yesterday's outing was finished and they were over with it.
1: Yeah. I, I defer to our behavioral science yeah. experts there, but yeah, no, that's, as, and even if you look, you know, outside of baseball, um, the best endurance athletes in the world, and I'm not saying that pitchers need to be the best endurance athletes in the world, but they, they, when they, when they do have an endurance component, you need to look at who does that the best. Um, and so when you look at, you know, the Nordic ski folks or the, the ultra endurance runners, they do a ton of low intensity training. Um, and so for us, it would, uh, it's one of those things. Well, if the best in the world are doing it, um, then we should steal from that playbook um, and apply it to our setting. And do the, do we train them like the Nordic ski team or like ultra-endurance athletes? Certainly not. Um, but we, we feel like we've we've stolen a couple of plays um, to help our pitchers out and apply those accordingly.
0: What role do nutrition, hydration, and sleep play in all this?
1: Huge. I mean, that's uh, – we, we have, in my opinion – the best dietitian in baseball. Her name's Erica Sharp. She is, she's unbelievable. Um, She's good with not only like getting us the best food that we can at the right time, the best supplements, all that stuff, but she does an incredible job with player education. Um, And that's really where I think the differentiator can lie Um, just because these guys are accountable for their own decisions. Um, And there's so many of them that are made away from us um that erica really does a good job educating these guys on on what they need to do um and there there's you know one of the nutrition one of those things that if, if done well for a long period of time you will really reap the benefits of it um and so she gets with these players really early and, and tries to get them as much of that basic information that they can make good decisions right away um and then uh, our performance science department in collaboration with behavioral science uh we, we do quite a bit in the sleep realm. Um, it's a priority for us and it's something that, uh, you know, I I think you can see everything, even just the regular media about, you know, this athlete or that athlete performing at this, this new height of, of performance because they decided to, to sleep a little bit more. And, and the research is pretty robust there that, um, we want to make sure that that's a priority for our players too.
0: When is supplementation important?
1: Um, I, I, I mean, Supplements are exactly what they're <laughs> called. I mean, you know, they, they supplement what the players are eating and, and filling in some of those gaps um, that maybe they're not, they're not getting through their regular food. Uh, so we, we provide a, a supplement uh, kind of pack, I guess, to our players really right away. Um, and that is just to complement, like, as they are learning how to eat it's not just how to eat it's how to eat in this environment it's how to eat in these contexts it's it's timing it's all those things that we just try to um kind of give them a little bit of a buffer through the through our supplement protocol and then there are some that you know we use to do specific things like support um you know support recovery support connective tissue strengthening things like that, that that are kind of targeted for what baseball players need um, so there's some of those too but at the broad level we just try to um, support their education we try to support their nutrition education and meet them where they're at with that
0: once the season's finished what does active recovery look like is it a complete shutdown or are they still doing a little bit of, of stuff just to keep the body moving what does it look like for them when the season's finished
1: so we encourage them we, we don't send them anything formal um, unless they request, and that's it depends on the year, but it's typically a two to four week window. Um, but we will encourage them still to, to move around, to do things they enjoy. Um, that, that's kind of the most important thing is they, they kind of reestablish uh, liking, <laughs> doing what they are doing. So no, it's not, it's not two to four weeks on the couch. It's more two to four weeks, like go and keep yourself in, in reasonable shape um, and, uh, and do some things that you like Um, you know, the guys that are in Arizona, they might go on a hike or something like that, you know, do something where they can catch some scenery. Uh, and then even when we do resume training, we will typically give them a couple of weeks, what we call like a return to fitness. Uh, so it's, it's easier training where they can kind of reacclimate themselves, uh, to the weight room and to running and to things like that before we really, uh, I guess, begin trying to drive adaptations and changes in the off season. Uh, well, so it, all in all it becomes kind of a uh maybe three to six week window um altogether where a couple of weeks of that are formal from us but um overall it it's a pretty gradual
0: how how road. far out from spring training then is the return to fitness protocol
1: pretty far i mean it, it's uh solid i mean in a normal year um ten twelve weeks yeah. out awesome. probably. So they, they have and in, in our weight program, uh, kind of probably not surprising. Like for our pitchers, our weight program, we try to line things up um, and do a good job in collaborating with our pitching staff on when their throwing program is going to ramp up. And and so like we will um, we'll kind of work out the calendar together uh, as best we can, and um, and make sure that that we're having those things pointed in the right direction. And, uh, and then from the hitting standpoint, it'll, it'll be the same, same thing, just maybe with, um, you know, defensive reps or swing volumes or or something like that, um, that we'll kind of navigate, uh, our off season that way. And and our strength condition coordinator, Jared Abel, does a great job of like getting all that information and putting it in place and, and having those pieces there.
0: How are you relaying everything out tech wise or app wise to the whole organization to make sure everybody is gets the information streamlined. How do you communicate with everyone?
1: Um, With our, with our players, we'll, we'll send out our training programs actually just, just via email, via WhatsApp, Um, pretty, pretty easy uh, stuff there. Um, We, we found that our international players tend to do pretty well with WhatsApp. Uh, So we will, we will go that route there, but email seems to be fine uh, for, for quite a few too. Um, But we will, our strength conditioning staff uh, does great. Uh, we, we give them kind of 20, 25 players that they're responsible for communicating with throughout the off season. And so they are really the ones that make sure that the program has been received, make any individual adjustments to the program based on their circumstance or their, their physical profile. Um, and so those guys, even during the off season are doing really good work for us uh, to make sure that that communication is, is flowing between us and the players.
0: From a player standpoint, how do they know when to maybe push through something or when they maybe need to back off?
1: Uh, I, you know, I think that's actually something that you got to learn, um, and and I don't I don't have a an exact answer there. Um, but there are certain stages of your development where like it's it's time. To learn how to do that, and there's certain stages of your development where, like, we've got to, we've got to live to see another day, um, basically. So, but you know, our, our it's really difficult to play 140 games in the minor leagues. It's really difficult to play 162 plus, hopefully, um, at the big league level. And um, you know, I, I've never experienced that myself. But uh, gosh, I, I think playing through an indie ball season was was tough enough on my on my body. so um, you know I know that these guys probably don't feel great every day and there, there's a time and a place where they've got to learn how to do that at some point in their development and learn how to perform at a high level when maybe they don't they don't feel the best. Um, but what we try to do is, is just um, you know kind of meet them where they're at on any given day. That's from the strength and conditioning side, the nutrition side, you know everything that we do. Um, is to get them ready for seven o'clock, as well. So it's it's there's that short-term management where we we have some strategies that we can use to get them ready to go that night if they're not feeling that great. But then there's also the ten thousand foot view of uh, of their player development process that we have to acknowledge and we'll make decisions accordingly there too.
0: Everybody had to pivot with COVID, you know, because everything got shut down. So guys are away from the weight room. Realistically, how? How long do you have, say you're in great shape, how long do you have before maybe you start to lose some of what you've gotten built up if you're out of the weight room for too long? Um, Are there ways to navigate around that?
1: If you can't access a weight room, I'd really encourage sprinting. Uh, There's not a physical uh, stimulus like sprinting. Um, And so if you're in a place where you're trying to hang on, Uh, to your lower body power or your strength like sprinting can help you uh, help you out in that regard Um, but overall uh, you know you're you're probably going to see some regression there at four to six weeks that's that's pretty reasonable Uh, some guys quicker than others there's a lot of factors that that go into that but at the at the group level four to six is probably probably reasonable but uh, you know there's ways that you can you can kind of support them even when there's, when there's not equipment. And, um, you know, fortunately we had a lot of creative minds that, uh, did a really good job during the shutdown to, to help out in that regard.
0: Say we have a high school coach out there that has to take care of a lot of their own needs from a strength and conditioning standpoint. What are some resources that they should dive in that would kind of help them along if they don't have a strength and conditioning professional around them?
1: Yeah. Um, I think there's first of all I the supply of strength and conditioning coaches out there would make that less likely than it maybe was 10 years ago. There's just a lot of people that are that are interested in this as a profession, which is great. Like and that that gets resources into all levels of sport, uh, which is which is fantastic. Um, but if if they do need to to self educate, um, I, I would probably lean on reaching out to people first and then like. The books and online resources second. try to find someone that, that has has worked at the level that that you are working at and even levels that are before or after um, the level that you're working working at too. because you, in order to necessarily say program for a high school player, you need to understand what it what it looked like for them as a junior high player. and you need to know where they're going to go too at the college or professional level. So um, it's kind of, you can't know where you are unless you know where you've been and where you're trying to go. Uh, and so and, finding, and there's some
0: apps now, Team Builder's one. I mean, there, there's some apps yep. out there that could help you with the program. If you're a coach that's trying to do this by yourself, Team Builder's yeah. a great app to go to if you need some help with programming.
1: Yep, and if you do basic movements and provide adequate variation in intensities and volumes, like you're – you're miles ahead of most people um, at, at that point. So, um, can you squat, press, lunge, hinge, do a pull up, do those things and vary the intensity, vary the volume, and you'll be in a decent spot. Yeah. And sprint. People forget that part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I loved sprinting. I did. Yeah. I, I loved it. Well, I was good at it, so which is why I liked it. I think everybody <laughs> likes doing what they're good at. I was good at sprinting, and I was fast, so I, I liked it. Hey, you're in a great spot. Would you go back and change anything? I mean, you were on both sides. You're on the coaching side and strength and conditioning side. It seems like you kind of hit it right. Is there anything you would go back and change?
1: Uh, no, uh, and that's not necessarily you – know, I'm, I'm, I, <laughs> I thank God every day for where I'm at and, and who I get to work with. Uh, I I certainly know uh, how blessed I am and I'm I'm grateful for that. But the reason I wouldn't change anything is because of the people that you get to meet along the way. And like, I I don't want to trade any of those people. Uh, and, And that goes, you know, my from Tyson Blazer, who I've known since I was, you know, we've been playing together since we were 10 years old. Uh, On to my high school teammates, my college teammates. uh, I'd mentioned Luke and Steve, who I coached with early on uh, to fast forward. And and now I I get to work with people that I respect so much in JJ and Austin and, and Jarrett and, you know, everybody else that that I've mentioned along the way. Um, Alec and Paul are pitching and hitting people. Like those are all people that I wouldn't trade those relationships. Um, It hasn't been perfect. I've made my my line well, and I term. like asking
0: fail forward. I mean, do you have a fail forward moment? Maybe something that you thought like, okay, that's a mistake. Or maybe, you know, I wish that didn't happen. And you look back 12 months later and you're like, okay, that happened exactly how it was supposed to happen. Or maybe one of the best things that ever happened to me.
1: Yeah, let me, let me think about that one for a second. Um, you know, I, I think that you, I, I would probably look back at, you know, leaving DePaul uh, was a really difficult decision for me even this isn't maybe exactly the example you were looking for, but I, I was scared to death that I was making the wrong decision in leaving that job to go get my PhD. Um, it was a really good job. It was people I loved. I, I really enjoyed. Um, I, I enjoyed working in basketball too. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, you get to go to Madison square garden for the biggest tournament and all that. Like, it's just, it's really fun. It's fast paced game. Um, And the administration there was so good to me. I I had a great staff that I, that I got along with. The athletes were wonderful. Like, man, I was scared that I was making the wrong decision. Uh, The, you know, leaving a job that I could have been in for the rest of my career and been perfectly happy in, but um, my itch to just want to know more and to learn more and to be around people. You know, I went to East Tennessee state, they have, Mike Stone, Brad DeWeese, Kimmy Sato, like all these like giants in the sports science world that 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 itch, I, I just had to scratch. But, um, you know, as I fast forwarded uh, a year from that, even a year into that program, I, I knew I made the right decision two years into that program. I knew I, I still knew I made the right decision. And then I was fortunate um, that on the back end of that, uh, you know, another thing I was scared of is was I, I wasn't ready to like be a teacher. I didn't want to be a professor at a university. There's nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't for me. I wanted to work in sport. Um, and I was fortunate that Austin gave me the opportunity and JJ gave me the opportunity to, to come on board with the Royals. And so um, that's not necessarily a fail forward, but certainly where I, I could have seen it go in south a lot of different directions, and I'm blessed that it did not.
0: What was your dissertation for your Ph.D.?
1: Uh, I was on accentuated eccentric loading. So basically like we we did some back squats where it's really heavy on the way down. And then when you get to the bottom of the squat, the weight pops off and it's lighter on the way up. Uh, So I, how did you set that up? Um, Well, I, I went into my dissertation a pretty strange way. I I actually said like, I want to learn how to use every piece of technology that we have. I want to, I want to do everything that I possibly could. Um, and so the accentuate eccentric loading piece was actually a question that uh, my chair, Dr. Mike Stone, wanted answered for a long time. Um, and then he was um, he was nice enough to support all my other crazy stuff where like I wanted to use ultrasound. I wanted to do muscle biopsies where I actually got to like go into a into a wet lab and do pipetting and muscle staining and all like all the stuff with the white lab coats and all that, you know, and do biomechanical analysis of of squats and, and all all this cool stuff that uh, that he kind of if I said hey I want to learn how to do this he figured out with me a way to package that into the dissertation so um, I left my dissertation saying like yeah I know how to do this I understand this and that's really like I wanted it to be the the best learning experience of my life and though it was uh, an uphill climb like you won't believe it was worth every second of it because. Uh, I got to do exactly what I wanted with it.
0: I think generalists make the best coaches. I'm biased because I'm a generalist, but I think people that know a little bit about a lot of things are much better in a team environment than somebody that just knows about one thing and they're really specialized in it.
1: Yeah, one thing I I heard, I actually can't even cite who I heard it from, so I'm sorry if I'm really stealing somebody's idea here. I know I'm stealing somebody's idea, but I don't know who's. I I really like the T-shaped person where you have you know, the stem of that T is you have a lot of depth in one area. Um, like for me, that would probably be physiology. That's like what my, what my PhD was, but then the breadth and knowing a little bit about a lot of different areas. Um, that's where the, the top of that, that T comes into place. And so I think being a T shaped person was a really good analogy for me. Um, and it's one a model I've kind of applied to the way I go about my business.
0: What evening or morning routines do you have that you like that you feel like helps you stay on top of your schedule?
1: Um, well, uh, this will be kind of strange, I guess, but you know, I get up in the morning and uh, I let my dog out. That's that's number one. So you got you to gotta have that one taken care of before you can get to your own stuff. But uh, then I'll read for probably 20, 30 minutes and then I will, I'll actually meditate for like 20, 30 minutes as well. I do too as well. Uh, not, not anything fancy I just I just shut everything off close my eyes and and uh, sit quietly for 20 30 minutes and then I'll kind of get going with my day so uh, those two things all in all take take about an hour um, but uh, but I'm willing to fit that in every day and then at some point uh, I'll mix in some exercise as well though that window tends to tends to shrink as I as I get a little bit older here but I'm hoping to get back on track with that one
0: any books or podcast recommendations?
1: Um, I mean, this podcast.
0: <laughs> well, that's again. Uh, I I don't like to self promote, so uh, yeah, no, no, I appreciate it. No, but, I appreciate it, but I, I really don't like self promoting. I hate it.
1: Yeah, no, but I, I um I, I haven't dove into a lot of podcasts lately on, on the S and C side. I'll listen to to Pacey Performance and uh, Central Virginia Area Sport Performance. A good friend of mine, Jay DeMeo, runs that one. Um, on the general side, uh, you know, I'll listen to some statistics podcasts, and um, and one called "You Are Not So Smart" uh, that uh, that, I, that Austin turned me on to, and "Everything Hurts" is another podcast I've, I've done in the past um, that they they do a really really good job. Um, that's more on the general science uh, side of things, um, and then books. I, I, I encourage people to read broadly, but uh, one piece of advice that I need to take on myself, oftentimes, is to kind of read the read the basics and read the classics first, uh, and then and then go from there. Like I've recently just gone down a for no reason other than I was curious a, a microeconomics uh, rabbit hole, and, uh, and so I read a book written in 1935, um, and it was fascinating. Have you Absolutely. read the undoing
0: project by Michael Lewis who it. wrote Moneyball? It. Uh-huh. It's about, uh, it's about, uh, Kahneman and Tversky who okay, are yep, yep. Who world, world renowned economists. So if, if you like that side of it, the undoing project's awesome because it talks about human biases and decision making. And it yep, makes yep. a lot of sense, um, for coaches because y- you have to eliminate a lot of your biases to make good decisions, um, because we show up with a lot of different biases. So, to try to yeah. get those out of the picture before you make decisions is a good thing. So it's the Undoing Project's a great book.
1: Kahneman's work is kind of a must, a must read yes. as well. Thinking fast and slow, it's I mean it'll take you a solid six it's months. Deep. It's deep. It's thinking
0: fast and slow. I, I checked it out of the library and I got into it and I was like, I gotta put this down because I I'm not in the right headspace to try to work through yeah. this right now.
1: But if you can take the six months to a year and chip your way through it, it's well worth it. Because, like you said, like you'll you'll learn so much about um, things that are applicable to your to your day to day life. Um, so that that stuff's really really important. Um, but uh, but I, I'm still a fan of of reading books that are 50 years old because they had so much of it right right off the bat. And understanding those basic premises really helps me get more out of more recent. Uh, work there. So, well, and as
0: your experience level goes up, some of those books you read before they speak to you differently because you have a different experience level now. Yeah. So you can go back and reread some books because they're going to speak to you differently now as you get older.
1: And that's a really good point. Uh, you know, I, I a period of my life, I, I wanted to like be the guy that read the most books. Um, now I've, I've kind of uh, like maybe through age, uh, I'd like to think maybe it's maturity, uh, but to your point, like now I've gone to where like, all right, I want to find like, the books that I'm going to continue to go back to and go back to and go back to and, and I might pick them up two years later and get something completely different from them. Um, but but I, I have now transitioned to where uh, I'm not trying to maybe win a competition of how tall my book stack can be, but, but I really want to pin down. What are the things that are impactful, uh, to me doing a good job and, and what I need to do.
0: What are some final thoughts?
1: Uh, just grateful, right? Uh, this is great to, to hop on and, and, and do this. Um, definitely like different than other things that I, I've, uh, been on in the past and I appreciate that about you. And I'm, I'm so happy for you. And, um, grateful that we got to reconnect.
0: Yep, John, it's always great seeing you. Tell Dayton and JJ I said hello. Yes, sir. we Will do. It was so great for me to be able to reconnect with John on the podcast. I'm so proud of him and his journey. Having seen him grow up as a player, coach, and now a director is awesome. He's a humble and genuine person and someone you root for along the way. I wish him and the Royals organization a safe and successful 2021 season. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West and the ABCA office for all the help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at coachb underscore ABCA, Instagram at ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.